Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to Bench Units. My name is Mark. I hope you all had a good Easter, and I am joined by probably the greatest candidate if there was ever be an Easter Bunny movie made. I would like to see him play the title character. James, how's it going, man? Wow, we're really scraping the barrel here for intros. Yeah, uh, not bad. I'm fresh off my, by now, nearly yearly Easter tradition of just having to play basketball on a rubber floor. Um, yeah, I say freshly, not fresh because of the rubber floor. We've but, we mentioned the rubber floor in like our pre-podcasting chat, and I feel like you already threw it out as a possible belt candidate, and we we're like, "Yeah, we'll get to it." And it's made an appearance as a reference, like forty seconds into the episode. So I think this might be a theme. Yeah, I think that's like one of the only things people know consistently about the Belgium tournament. Like when I heard that we got invited to it, some of the guys in Bilbao were like, "Ah, oh, cool, have a nice time on the rubber floor," and I was like. I think Spain have ever been there. Like, I don't know how they know this, but I guess obviously you can see it and everyone complains about it flat out. But yeah, it's it's not it's it's not ideal, but also as far as hosting a tournament somewhere goes, you've got beds that you've got rooms that hold four people, um, you've got a place to feed people, and you've got a basketball court within like a two minute push, yeah. like oh end to end. So were you in four person rooms? Yeah, there's like bunk beds and stuff. It's it's pretty chaotic. There's bunk beds. The food's all the food's okay. Like it's it's getting better, I think. But it's yeah, it's not. It's it's not it's not five star combination. But we don't need that. But obviously, the people who are putting it together are trying very hard. And yeah, uh, I've only it is what it is. As far as like getting six good international teams in a room together, there's not that many opportunities between now and Worlds. So I guess that's the move. The- this was going to be my one of my first t- talking points for this episode before we get into the actual competition itself, is that I was always sure the Belgium tournament used to take place every year because Belgium, being a lower-down European team, used to give themselves the opportunity to play against some of like the European Group A, and that was, it was kind of like a tax on, hey, if you want this tournament hosted, you'll have to have a less competitive team there, and they've apparently just done away with that in this iteration they're like hey yeah we'll host it and we'll make extra space for the good teams which seems a little bit weird i don't know why they decided it was time to pull their team from it or yeah, maybe well, i don't know i don't know how much like it's i don't know if it's the actual belgian wheelchair basketball federation hosting the tournament or not i'm not really sure um i i do what i'm told i show up and play basketball or don't play basketball that's the great that's the best thing because you we always bring more than a 12-man squad so you get to sit one of the games and it's so fun being like okay which of these would i ideally like to well i say you get to like some players don't get to but when you're sort of on the edges maybe making a squad maybe not you're like okay i'm gonna sit one of these so that they can have a look at some other people and it's 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 always like okay which is the ideal scenario and yeah two games in one day on the saturday and i sat the first one but so that was that was pretty much it. I always remember the last time we went, which was pre-COVID, the last time it was on, we played Japan on that rubber floor, who obviously liked to press a lot. And I got to sit out that one, which was an absolute pleasure. <laughs> yeah. It was funny, like just watching, like just sitting there on the sideline with a coffee beside two of the other guys, being like, hey guys, make sure you hit those sidelines, I guess. <laughs> Suckers. Um Wait. We'll get to it now. Um, I warned you pre-podcast that I'm going to have a take to fire off here. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give it and you're going to try and reverse engineer my justification to it live on the episode and see if people can follow our train of thought. Or uh, Are you going to get yourself in trouble or are you going to get me in trouble more likely? No, pro- probably neither, but I think it'll be good food for thought. Okay, good. Because there's, there's there's probably there's real real scope for you saying something on this podcast. <laughs> no one remembering which of us said it, and in like three months, someone being like, or next year in Belgium, someone being like, "Hey, you said this about this tournament," and I'm like, "Hey, I super didn't." Yeah, but okay, it's not about the tournament specifically. And also, I know I get more leeway here because in the scheme of international wheelchair basketball, fewer people have any idea who I am as compared to you, whose name is on international tournament rosters in previous places. 
Um, hopefully future places, but well, yeah, yeah uh, we'll see. Uh, let's not get ahead of ourselves. No, let's um, not. <laughs> so, do you remember, we haven't done it for a while, we used to ask guests if they were made the supreme ruler of the IWF for a day, what rule would they like to impose? Yes. Also, we should get back to some of that stuff. Like, I, 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 we took it out because we needed more time with guests. But I really want to know people's like, yeah, one rule for basketball and favorite movie and best type of potato. <laughs> we'll um, we'll work it back in. But my supreme overlord move would be in time for Dubai and subsequently the Paris Paralympics. I believe it is time to bump the international tournament. Um, up to 14 and a half points rather than 14. Oh, um, I don't know if you're joking. Um, also, that's like a really, really subtle change for the sake of a joke, so I doubt it. Um, no. Um, no, I have no idea. What's your, what's your, what's your move? So, my reasoning was I watched all of these games and God without, without naming any names of teams that I thought underwhelmed. I watched this international thing. Bear in mind, there's been less international wheelchair basketball and friendly tournaments and stuff over the last couple of years, so maybe I'm more acclimated to the club stuff, but the standard of the club basketball, as we've talked about it every weekend, is just generally better than this has been. And, yeah. Um, I think, I mean, me and you had a conversation pre this tournament where I think it started because Germany released their like training camp selection group and I think I messaged you and I was like, I like this. Any formulation of their 12 they can take, I quite like. And I can't quite get there with any of their fives, um, which is yeah. no disrespect to Germany. It just felt like the aggregate 12 players didn't distill down into any five-man units where I was like, oh man, you've got to get that out of there. And I felt the same watching a lot of these teams where it was like, ah, oh, man, they got like three decent guys out there a good fourth player and then they're just shoving their one out there and like the amount of time that turkey spent playing like half a point under because they obviously don't either don't trust any of their like higher pointer guys to play a bigger role or like they the amount of time they played half a point under and had fikri gondog do out on corners like if we were going to 14 and a half here they could play my guy hussein dalman in his spot and ishmael would be their lowest point player and yeah, I just think having watched it, I was like, yeah, there's definitely, I think enough teams at the international level are in flux right now to the point where half a point extra would benefit probably the middle tier of teams. And interestingly, I don't think it would have the same amount of benefit on the kind of top handful of teams in the world if we were to say like GB, USA, Australia kind of territory. Yeah, um, but then do you think teams that, I was going to say are able to probably more likely have the infrastructure to actually develop and have good players in all classifications get penalized or more likely do ones just get shafted because I don't know. I was playing the real, like the international lineups to 14 points and being like, ah, this is great. And maybe it's like as a, maybe it's very specifically as like a two pointer that can't buy a basket from 15 feet and needs to go inside. I'm like, oh, wow, there's airspace in here. Like maybe I'm just like maybe I'm just like sick to death of playing against seventeen. It does maybe fourteen and a half is the move without reductions. Like as you say, like Um, there's a there's a real middle ground between fourteen and a half and seventeen. But well, interesting. Interestingly, my other take when I was workshopping this was I think there should be an an international tournament, even if it's not like within the real cycle. If it's just like a, a standalone thing, there should be. A national team's selection where you're able to mix male and female and have the appropriate and juniors as well and have the appropriate points deductions as you would in the league so if you could do the national team stuff up to you know like say 17 points or whatever and i was mainly thinking about it because i was watching canada and i was like if i coached canada right now i would be appealing to take on board katie dandano and aaron young into this lineup with the appropriate points like if you could play pat and those guys and whoever else to 17 i'd be like yeah, yeah this kind of team is definitely better and like ditto for netherlands with mariska as well so yeah, some of the some of the canadian some of the canadian female low pointers and mid pointers are 
good as well. That would yeah. probably fit in there. Some of the Canadian uh, men's lows and mids are good too, but you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that would be a fun standalone thing, similar to how like the Spitfire tournament in Toronto just used to have its own international division and it was like, hey, bring your national team. And I like yeah. it. I've heard someone, I've heard, um, I think it was Gaz actually spoke about like an interesting idea of like open class, like just no classification and what would happen there. And it's, be- it's interesting to figure out which non fours and four fives would make it. There's a lot of like midpoint threes that would make it, obviously. So then you've got think- the benefit of higher max height three pointers and stuff like that. And there's yeah. like, I think the list probably gets down to you probably go every everybody from three and up who's like world class, and then the probably about a handful of twos and two fives. It's like Harry, Kyle, um, Greg. Yeah, even though I I thought about this, I think I might have even been in on this conversation. We might have done this when Gaz was on the podcast previously. I don't uh, know, maybe. But, um, yeah, we've done a lot of podcasts. We have. Uh, this is episode 110. But um oh, that's nice. That's inconsequential. Yeah, we um I, I did wonder about that because I was like, yeah, would Greg and Kyle and those guys be out there? They probably would for offensive value, but also you're asking those guys who typically get away without having to defend the best players on the opposing team all the time. You're asking those guys to defend like fours and four fives on every possession. Yeah, there's also just no, there's like no chasing these guys out of mismatches and getting them back on the map. Unless you're like, well, if these guys are playing a lower pointer, then they have to, and then you're back to playing to points. <laughs> and you just like chased yourself around in a circle. And yeah. So, yeah, that's my take. Anyway, <laughs> I, think, I think if there were ever a time to bump up the classification of the international game to 14 and a half point limit, I think now would be it because I think there's a lot of teams in flux and. We'll we'll get to it as we talk about kind of what we witnessed, but yeah, I think the entire the whole world outside of the top handful of teams could probably benefit from a half a point cushion, and if that's uh, like th- this, definitely won't happen now because like that would be sheer insanity. But um, yeah, I think it's just it feels like way less teams are really maxing out the fourteen points available to them at the moment. I don't know if that's like a a transition of eras thing that's happening kind of worldwide currently and you, you're getting your young guys filtering through. I think we'll talk about it in a second, but I think you see with like Germany's squad selection and the 12 they've announced, there's like a real eye on the youth movement going on there. So I wonder if that's just happening in phases across the world. Lucas. We'll, we'll get that. Um, yeah, um, we'll, we'll, we'll get to you, son. Um Shall we talk about the tournament itself? I feel like we've vamped for long enough. Um, no, because I've had a great idea based off the tournament. I think, hear me out, slam ball style, full wooden floor, rubber court inside the key so that Lee Fryer can do some of the mad stuff that he was able to do in a wooden floor. Because you get like, it absolutely kills your transition, which is no good for anyone and it makes the game look worse, as we'll get to. But... Then being able to just put moves on people by your chair stopping when you actually really want it to. And like some of the some of the weird like fadeaway stuff and like tilts that you can keep and like little hip like hip spins that you can do if you're a higher pointer, even if you're a lower pointer and have got moves on moves. That'd be fun. What are your thoughts? Yeah. I I've actually played on a court like that. Oh um, wow. That sounds awful. I was only joking. <laughs> was not wood floor. It was it was at Toledo, which I think is some of your Bilbao guys' old team. Yes. Um, not their main venue, because their main venue had one entire glass wall that was a like a greenhouse, but they hired a second court for one of the Euro Cup finals. And it was like, it was a rubber court, but it then had a different rubber composite inside the key because it was a different color. And presumably they couldn't source the different colored rubber in the same density as the other one. And you you could literally, like, you could get all the way down the court for, like, a fast break solo layup, take, like, one more push to gather, and then your casters would, like, hit the edge of the key and you would just stop. You're, <laughs> in, moon, you're in moon gravity. I like yeah, it. I, think, I legit think, uh, I think Harry had a fast break layup in on that court, and he 
like took a push past his last defender, his casters dug in and he like tilted himself into a lift and it was a turnover. And it was like, this is all just from your casters crossing the line into the key. This court is absolutely not fit for purpose. No. Terrible. Yeah. Okay, so that's a bad idea then. Cool. Worth a go. Terrible. All right, let's talk about some games. Let's do it. So as we were talking about the rubber floor kind of not being conducive to great offense, game <laughs> one was Canada 47, Netherlands 35. So I yeah. this was we were there but not playing obviously yet. I went and watched this and I got three quarters in and decided that I didn't want to be there any longer. <laughs> um but ooh, I don't know. I feel like I don't know, obviously you can say like good defense, you can say bad offense, but I just think like when you take away a lot of the transition scoring, yeah, you'd kind of turn it into a rock fight and then God knows what can happen. Like I think a lot of the teams that shoot really high percentages, a lot of it is getting to the basket. Even like even the good teams with good shooters, it's still a lot of getting to the basket and that just kind of doesn't happen here. I don't know, obviously like Canada are set up to go two four fives on the perimeter, a midpointer in the middle, and two one one fives rolled into the basket. Sorry. So you kind of end up taking some of that top end off your perimeter scoring anyway. But yeah, it was um this is the first time I've got the chance to watch Pat Anderson in his guard chair. Oh yeah, um, my god like f- first bucket he made in the guard chair was like a fade away over a forward. I was like, all right, cool. Like, still got it. I, I've i been wrestling with this the more I've watched Pat um, since his, like, comeback. And then there's obviously Tokyo or whatever. But first up, I envy a lot of things about Patrick Anderson. And I'm very, you know, as I think anyone who's in any way interested in wheelchair basketball, you end up in awe of his various skills. I think the thing I might be most in awe of is his seemingly unbridled belief that his presence can make this team competitive because this Canada squad is... I mean, we're talking about this following a win and we'll get to some of their other games. I was going to say, they they blew this team out by by stats. Blew this team out by 12 in a game where only one Netherlands player got into double-digit shot attempts and there was no (laughs) double-digit scoring. Um, I was going to say, if if games are going to less than 50, winning by 12 is a blowout. (laughs) Um, Yeah, this was, I mean, this was reminiscent of the, um, what was the game we watched the other week? Amiab and... Malaga. Um, Yeah, to be fair, that got brought up by several Malaga and several Amiab players in the GB group. We'd be like, wow, this is like watching us a couple of weeks ago. But <laughs> um, but yeah, Pat is just he's out there and he's trying to control you know everything and outthink all the opponents and what else and you know get his guys in position. And he's Canada got three double digit scorers in this game, um, between himself, Colin Higgins and Bo Hedges, combining for an almighty 34. They nearly outscored the Netherlands in and of themselves. Um but there's just not there's just not the depth on this team. It's this is prime candidate when I was talking about, you know, feels like everyone in this tournament can get kind of three guys out there that they're happy with and chuck a couple of pieces in to, to make the numbers work. And yeah, ditto for the Netherlands, man. They went with kind of their mids lineup. I thought Quentin had a pretty good tournament overall, but not in this game. Um sure. And yeah, this might have just been like a first game, get the cobwebs off kind of thing, but this oh, was... 100%. Like you show up to, like the Netherlands got there that day. We were there a couple of days early training and whatever. The Netherlands got there that day. Canada got there day before, maybe. Um, jet lag, rubber floor. Plenty plenty of reasons you can look for. for this yeah, Jet lag right, but... from the Netherlands to Belgium. No, I mean, I said Canada in between okay. that. <laughs> um, also, yeah, I imagine they drove. No, they definitely did. Um, yeah. I know this because Mendel showed up and had nice coffee for me. Shout out to Mendel. Fair enough. Um, just in general, but also because of this. But yeah, um, also, do you know the way they do like the old M- the new NBA thing where they scale old people's stats, like old old players' stats from 20 years ago into NBA pace numbers for yeah. nowadays? Like if you go 
scores 47 35 if you scale that up to like 79 points or something uh, it'd be fun to see like okay pat stats were like 12 13 and 5 or whatever it'd be fun to be like okay what's that in a real game <laughs> yeah, a real game. yeah if you take, uh, like if you take like mendel's stats or quinton's stats and you go okay what's that if this game goes to 70 but yeah. um uh, on that note the actual number of possessions was only slightly lower than we would typically see, but it yeah, was... They're just all slower. <laughs> yeah. The Netherlands shot 16 of 57, um, and Canada were 20 of 60, which, I mean, there's even, like, the free-throw numbers weren't great for the Netherlands. It's like, you can't blame the court for that one. Um can you blame the court for that one? I don't know. Um, no, unless you're rolling to take a free throw, in which case, like what is happening? Or sunk into the floor than I would have been otherwise. Um, yeah, imagine yeah, you're like a mill. Yeah, the basket's a millimeter or two higher. Imagine. <laughs> yeah, I think this is. We'll call this one something of a, a write-off, but I think it was. Um, it was not the most encouraging start to the tournament for either team. I say, even though Canada managed to steal the win. Um, we did have this running thing where I watched that and I was like, oh, is anyone going to get to like 60 all <laughs> tournament? I think we yeah. scraped it in our first game. Yeah, we did. But I was like, oh, man. And then there was one point where I was like, I think my, my specific thing was like anyone who gets 70 in this tournament, like the second you get to 70, the buzzer just sounds. <laughs> yeah, we, we had two 70 point team performances throughout the whole thing. I think Turkey got close a couple of times. We, um, there were three, two for us, one for Australia. Oh, well, sorry, I missed a the 75 for Australia, 70 for GB, um, and then, yeah, 72 for you guys against Canada. Turkey got up to 67 and 68 a couple of times. Um, yeah, so speaking of Turkey, next game out. This, I only saw this we were getting ready for the podcast, but Group B of this tournament, which was Australia, Turkey, and Italy. The it was a 1-1-1 one, one, one tie in terms of wins and losses. And the points difference in the group was Australia topping the group with a positive points difference of two points. And then the other teams being tied on minus one. Yes. So the wins were by, it was like Turkey over Italy by 11, Italy over Australia by 10, and then Australia over Turkey by 12, I think was how it panned out. Um, so pretty... yeah, the the the, mo- the most interesting bit was like last play of the game in Turkey Australia Australia up by enough that they didn't care about it in his bullet um, makes a catch and shoot from the elbow to bring them just close enough that Italy are out and like <laughs> Australia are like yeah whatever probably <laughs> but um, no, I actually I don't rem- I don't remember if like I don't remember the end game back and forward if they were like that aware of the crossover but i think if you're aware of the crossover for someone else you're not that bothered about it but that was pretty tough for italy to end up out of that based on a two-point game that didn't like a two-point uh plus minus in a game that was a kind of a blowout by these tournament standards yeah it's there's so little margin for error when it's a two-game sample size to see who goes through to the yeah, and also Italy being on the sideline watching and being like, hey, Australia, come on, lock these guys down here when Australia are up 12 with one second to go, or up 10 with one second to go, isn't really, like, you can't be like, hey, come on, we need you to do this. But I think the yeah. funniest thing was that game was, like, early enough, and it was like, if this game goes a certain way, you play immediately. <laughs> like, Yeah, it's tough. Um, yeah, so Turkey, Italy was... Uh, Turkey look like they're kind of figuring themselves out. They, you might know this from having been around slightly more, but obviously the biggest um, biggest change for Turkey has been there's been no Oscar Gerbilak at a run of recent tournaments, going all the way back to there, having to drop down to Group B to re um, assert themselves as a member of Group A. Is Gerbilak retired, or does he just sit these things out at this point? Uh, I don't know because he's playing for Galatasaray. Like he came to our Euro Cup and yeah. our Champions League qualifiers and didn't play a whole lot, and then he went to their quarterfinals and played a hell of a lot. Um, yeah. so I don't really know. Um, I guess we'll see when it comes to the. Well, I no, mean, like the... that's the other thing. Like, there's no worlds for him to go to because, yeah, 
they didn't make the last Euros because of COVID. Like they showed up and they had some COVID cases, had to go home and automatically dropped out and dropped down. Yeah. Um, so we'll see at Euros, I guess. Maybe if this is prep for um, at the second tournament of the summer, maybe he's like, maybe they're like letting some of the young guys figure it out because I imagine he doesn't need to buy for selection a whole lot. Or maybe he has retired. We'll find out. Yeah. Well, in the meantime, Turkey certainly aren't short on four pointers. So able to run a reasonable facsimile of what they would uh, with Ines Balut just kind of stepping into the Gerbalak role for a lot of this and being like, hey, I'll run the offense, guys. Don't worry. And Turkey, I don't know if you spotted this, if you were sore enough of them with how the schedule comes in or, you know, if it's easier to tell from watching on video, but every time Bullet was on the floor, they basically ran the same offense on every possession. And it feels like you should be able to stop it. And then you watch how it unfolds. You're like, actually, yeah, this is incredibly difficult to stop. So it's like Bullet on the behind the double screen on the right wing, like waits for the pick to come, heads to the towards the top, swings the ball to the other side, and then the like two defenders defending the three are left with do they chase him to the top and allow Ismail R to curl in the four pointer who played a lot of minutes blue Atabai. Uh he's a new addition to this team. But they either stop Ooh, the curl he's massive. He's huge. They either stop the curl and give Bullet some kind of drive to the basket or like short post up. Or they take away Bullet relocating to the top and they let the giant guy kill the basket and it's like you should be able to stop this and then option three is they just let top rack catch and shoot behind the screen and anyone from Landil will tell you that's probably not the best idea um yeah they ran because obviously he played for galatasaray as well um there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of crossover there who would have known but they ran a lot of that they ran the exact same thing with him against us and i remember they ran it against us and we did okay kind of trying to go under a lot of that stuff um, because he was really looking to draw us out and draw help and whatever, and we were like, all right, if we can turn this into a rock fight, we'll figure it out. But I remember someone from another team came up to us afterwards, and they were like, "So I've seen they've run that. Like, what, like, what was your guys' solution to it? Because they were about they'd run it with Piot against them, and I was like, yeah. if it's Piot, I don't know if there is a solution. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it was funny to be like, hey, I don't know, sorry, man, like, um we were able to go under this and I very much understand that you can't. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. It's, it's tough. Um, yeah. On, on the Galatasaray crossover note, there was no um, Gunaydin for Turkey who I would have expected to see here. Um, so they were running without him. They didn't have a four and a half in this whole tournament, which I know their, their new four pointer is a big dude. He's not the most, He's let's put it this way, he's big and physical. He's nowhere near the mismatch or dribbling into his own shot threat that Gunadin is. So I think that took an element away from them. Um in kind of yeah. their squad setup. Um the one guy I did spot who I quite like was they've got a three point five double amp who plays for Baziktas, who is a little bit rough around the edges. What's the name? Uh Zephyr Gultekin. Apologies to any Turkish listeners. Um, not sure we have many of those. You're all yeah. welcome, but I'm not sure we have many of those. Um, yeah, so he was out there for stretches, and he just looks like if they ever want to go towards like a slightly more mids heavy unit, which they might do if they've not got the requisite giants they've always had, then he looks like potentially a good option for that. Um, and especially their size was kind of the move for them against this Italy team that was running two ones out in kind of all scenarios. <laughs> Italy opened the um Italy opened this tournament, which is a friendly way you're meant to be getting a feel for stuff, with three guys playing 40 minutes, one guy playing 35 minutes, and another guy playing 30 minutes. And it's like, hey, do you just not trust your your bench? <laughs> I love it. Um, um no Filippo Carasino for Italy, we should point out. So that limits their options in terms of their bigs a little bit because he's obviously a 3-5 where a lot of their guys are fours and four and a halves. Um, but yeah, man, Italy just were kind of had a unit they were going to run with and decided they were going to run it into the ground. And they did that to varying success across the tournament. As I say, I don't know how I much of a have on Italy as a group. I guess that's one way to use a warm-up tournament to be like, all right, these are our guys. They got to get warm. But no, they were going like, 
even when they rotated, I think they were kind of going quarter by quarter most of the time, um, which is like, that's one way to do it. Be like, these are our rotations. We're not going to just run four guys into the ground and rotate two ones because we're losing a game because it doesn't matter if you win or lose these things. But I had a weird thing where like, if you were coming into this tournament and you went, all right, Italy are going to run three fours or whatever. They're going to run two fours and a three five or whatever. I would have struggled to pick which fours, but I don't know. I think Sabri Bedzetti give give a pretty good account of himself at several points yeah. in this tournament as like maybe first guy, first name on the sheet. Yeah, I mean the Australia, uh, the Italy Australia game, which is the one that Italy kind of clawed themselves back into. It, as Sabri had twenty two. Yeah, he also had the coolest play of the tournament where they were being pressed. He got over, I don't know if this was clear on the stream, but we were on the sideline that it happened. He got over, finally got behind his screen in the half court in a press, caught the ball, I mean, dribbled over behind the screen, sort of had the ball in one hand, palmed it, fixed his hair with the other hand with six seconds on the shot clock and had enough time to get to get the, to get the ball up and score. And I was like... Imagine getting getting over the getting over the half court on a rubber floor against an Australian press and being like six seconds is too much. You've given me too much time. First things first, I got to fix my hair. I act as here taking photos. I think it's uh, more of I need to see the basket. But I was just <laughs> like, wow, this is so cool that you've scored. If he didn't score, I would have been like, oh man, you need a slightly shorter hair so that this isn't an issue. But like <laughs> scoring, I was like, no, nah, that's cool. Oh, yeah. language. Um, oh, I have to edit myself. That's so upsetting. No, that's cool. I, th- I think people should know you're human. You, um, we all slip up occasionally. No, um, I'm gonna have to clip that. That's really upsetting. Yeah, it's fine. Um, I say clip it as if I'm gonna like upload that to our story. But um, what was I gonna yeah. say? Um, Driss with 14. I think Driss had a really good tournament. Yeah, I thought outside of Driss, um, this was kind of my takeaway from Italy. I think they've got enough selection of three fives to four fives, especially when Garatino's back. They've got enough of a selection of those guys that they can kind of toggle through them game dependent. Um, I thought Sabri was great against Australia because teams feel by default, feel like they can press a three big and that's tough to do when Sabri's out there. Um, yeah. I thought kind of Dimitri and Papi were decent against Turkey first time out, although not, enough offense to get the thing done. I thought the lows were pretty weak for Italy outside of Driss and I uh they're obviously missing Marco Stupanango who's missed a chunk of the season since the early Euro Cup um qualifies now but he had I think he like had an eye issue apparently like which is a weird one but I mean the, we we left about Italy a couple of years ago because they took entirely high pointers and low pointers and Stupanengo is the only mid and now they've lost that and they're basically juggling mids and lows in whatever three big formulation they can and outside of dress their lows aren't doing a whole lot for them um and I think you going back to the game where they played Turkey Turkey played a super weird defense where they basically sat their three big guys in like a line under the basket like one guy under the basket one big on each baseline and their lows like zone defensing the ball yeah. and they couple of times when like there was Pappy on a baseline mismatch, they just doubled immediately and they were like, hey, your one-pointer can shoot like a roll-in eight-foot shot from the elbow all day if that's what he wants to do. It's also funny to be like, hey, did this not, does this guy need a little bit of a roll? Okay, we're on a wooden floor. Good luck. You're not getting up. You're like, by the time you catch the ball, put it in your lap, take a push, pick it back up. We're going to be there. Also, yeah. um, Turkey did a similar thing against Canada at one point where they just went like two ones either side of Pat like Ismail yeah, yeah. in front of him the other one whose name I forget behind him and they were just like happy enough to double which is funny because like I feel like you could throw the ball into Pat on a mismatch in between those guys and he'd still get it off and he did at points uh, not so much anymore that, that's still thing. massive in the guards chairman <laughs> I, I do wonder like it's not like Canada was setting the world on fire when he was sat Max Heitman I, I would love to know mm. what is process was behind being like hey we can unlock this if i just get smaller and less able to bail us out um i don't i don't i don't i have no idea we should try and get him on here and ask him but also i wonder if it's a finish the rail game completing the side missions bit 
Like, I wonder yeah. if he's like, hey, I've checked off the max height chair stuff. Yeah. Probably I not. I, I, I don't think he'd mess around that much, but I have no idea. Um, right. Shall we... We've touched on a couple of these teams. Shall we talk Australia a little bit? Because I was intrigued by them um, in that I kind of, when they rolled out their squad, I was kind of like, eh, this looks like a blend of like some of their established guys and some of their, you know, developmental guys. I know they a decent chunk of what was their junior team from the past junior worlds was here with this. But you actually look at the squad and you're like, actually, there's not many guys missing that you know, you would expect to be... Yeah, who's missing? Not, like Not an obvious contingent. I don't know if it's just Australia are, so, are usually so stacked with, you know, depth and size and whatever else that, um, you know, I wonder if you're just used to seeing them have like seven giants lined up and they didn't really have that this time. But they, it felt like they spent a decent amount of the tournament doing what a friendly tournament is intended for and kind of toggling around to find an identity um and i think they got better i mean they lost to italy in their first game so only way to go from there is up um and it felt like they kind of found themselves a little bit more and they ultimately played you guys in the final yeah um and yeah i think they they see i mean i mentioned at the start of the podcast there's a bunch of teams that seem caught between eras at the moment and they were kind of a prime candidate for that description um, um i don't know i think i think what they've got's healthy like I, when you say caught between eras i think it's if you look at the last couple of world tournaments they've gone bronze at the last worlds fifth in tokyo fifth in rio um and they've got a blend of obviously you've got Tristan Knowles who's still playing and playing well. You've got he's playing yeah. unbelievably, and no. you've got Sean Norris okay. obviously an all timer, and then you against kind of Canada nice in the, um, against Canada in the semi final, Tristan Knowles had twenty two on nine from ten shooting. Yes, ridiculous, right? Um, yeah. But yeah, he was he just went nuts because obviously is an all timer. You've got Sean Norris once again all timer, and then I think you've got a nice blend like you've got couple of younger guys coming through, like Ethan Laird, is that his name? He yeah. was, yeah, was a impre- great old tournament. Impressed with him. Um, yeah, I thought, I think Australia, I kind of found, we've known their like three mids lineup with Yannick and typically Bill, sometimes Tristan. That's been kind of their go-to since about 2018 at this point. And I feel like that still gets it done. Everything outside of that, I didn't feel the most confidence in. Uh, I think their second unit being Tristan, uh, CJ Grogan, and then one of their other fours, so it was all Prince in quite a lot of the setups, and then two lows. I think that emerged as probably a candidate for their next best unit. I thought CJ had some some particularly good games. He played really well against Canada. Um, And I think that lineup's at, if him and Tristan are both shooting well, I think that lineup's pretty dangerous because You've then got, you know, Yannick can roll and finish. Or Prince is obviously a threat, offensive rebounding, and you know, generally anywhere in the paint. Um, and yeah, I think they've kind of got those two lineups. I feel like they'll have an easier time if we get to like this world tournament. I feel like they've got enough to beat up on weaker teams. I don't quite know if they've got enough to hang with the couple of teams that you might say are kind of at their level or above um they strike me as having a little bit of a ceiling on them at the moment yeah, but... but i don't know how many other teams are way better than them at this point like no i think if you if you were to look at the standings from like the 2018 world championships being gb um usa australia as the top three i would say that's certainly still the top three in some formation that's what i mean like i don't i, I don't know yeah, I get. I guess that just makes it a question of: Are they well and truly in their own tier as as third place? Can they knock on the door of second place, or you know, is anyone going to come and yeah. give them a give them a run for it? Um, yeah, Team USA looks a little different as well. I guess I don't know better or worse. Like I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Don't know no. if you can say a bunch of new guys is better than a Paralympic gold medal team, but yeah, that's fair. Um, I don't know either. Like that's the thing. I don't know some of these guys. Um, They've only had well, they've only had one tournament as like a new reinvented 
sort of renewed national team and they won it. So, yeah, no, fair we'll enough. We'll see. Um, we'll see. But yeah, I thought I think there's a lot to be encouraged by for Australia. I I think my only concern with them is a couple of their less experienced guys. Uh, Ethan Laird, you mentioned there, one point of Frank Pinder. Um, and then that Jake Kavanagh is intriguing to me. He was in the Commonwealth's three on three, right? Um, I think he's potentially pretty decent. I think he's just maybe like this was his first real rollout that I've seen for the national team. So maybe it's just a question of like big game experience for him. But I think he maybe fits the bill as a an option for them to roll out another three for their mids lineup. Um, but yeah, I think maybe you said what they've got is healthy. I think maybe they're just a year or so off a couple of their young guys being well and truly ready to contribute. Um, yeah, to be fair, like as I say, my main point on that was they came out and pressed at one point with two of the junior guys and I was like, ah, this is going to be a problem. <laughs> I don't mean yeah. in our game like that, like we were we were running me, Phil, Harry, Simon, Lee, Fryer. I was like, oh, no, like we're fine, but like this is yeah. going to be a problem in a couple of years. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of the young guy thing where it's like, I, I honestly believe for like people's first tournament for the national team or whatever, you should just shove them in a pressing lineup, even if that's not what they do, because I think you can ask them to do that for like five minutes and let them burn off the nervous energy. And then it's like, okay, we can we can settle down now. Yeah, and it's also like, hey, this is going to be chaos if I ask you to play half court, so I may as well ask you to play chaos in the full court. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, but yeah, I think Australia, pretty decent account themselves overall i think they it really wouldn't surprise me to see them go into something like worlds if they've done this as obviously their prep tournament it wouldn't surprise me if we saw them go back to their like training camps and stuff now and come back for their international appearance with a slightly clearer rotation set and like we want to play these units in these situations it felt like they were Throw in a little bit of stuff at the wall and kind of seeing what panned out, which is... Oh, this was selection for them, I believe. Um, between, obviously, they had been... They had also, and we should have said this for the Netherlands, they had also been... Uh, Netherlands and Australia had been in Papendal in the Netherlands playing friendly games and training and stuff. Yeah. So they were four or five days into a camp at this point as well. And yeah. I think this was selection for the Aussies, maybe. So... Yeah pretty like that they were rotating by design obviously and were probably also all knackered at this point so no that's fair um cool. all right should we get on to the last team let's do it the team that that, that won the the golden mugs at the end of um the belgian <laughs> tournament apparently that was a the thing they give away you've probably seen like five easter tournament mugs just from being around wheelchair basketball like yeah. one probably washes up at your front door i think i have one somewhere i don't know how i got it but i I'm almost certain I have one knocking about. That's hilarious. We had a real thing where because you get there and obviously to make yourself comfortable, people bring kettles and coffee machines yeah. and this, that, and the other. And the little mugs they give you are the little Italy like half. What's sorry? Italy showing up with their espresso machine is like the the staple of every <laughs> tournament they ever go yeah. to. Yeah, because I was going to bring mine, but Papi was like, no, 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 don't worry. Some of our guys have some stuff. We'll look after you. And then they actually ended up in different accommodation, which was very upsetting um but it's all right we ended up with two arrow presses in the one room <laughs> shout out to jack perry but um yeah so they give you the little half size mugs which are no good for anyone like that you get in like hotels and stuff so we i was like could we get these mugs at the start of the tournament if you're going to give them out anyway but it wasn't going to happen but yeah so that's a shame um yeah we'll talk we'll talk gb because winners of the tournament um we've briefly alluded to point differential in the other group um so for contrast gb's point differential was plus 46 in their group with canada and the netherlands in two games hmm. in two games you guys hmm. quite good went on to all right so when you're all done patting yourself on the back uh, uh you I then you I then can't reach it. I can't beat. reach. I've got the Papendal medal and the mug in my hands. I'm joking. <laughs> Imagine caring. <laughs> Your point difference across um, four games was plus 79 overall, um, which is winning every game by give or take 20 points. And as you mentioned, the, you guys took 14 guys, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah. 
and kind of rotated in and out on a game by game. Some of the mainstays obviously played all four because you're not going to chuck the you know the more fringe guys. You're not going to throw them in with no underlying structure within which to um, evaluate them. So yeah, I think of... that's that's the thing where we kind of the the more the older I've gotten, the more experience I've had, the more I've realized that throwing five guys out there to get like a look at five different people doesn't really make a load of sense because like i don't know like i don't think trying x person out for gb makes a load of sense if you're not trying them out with like greg or if you're not trying them out with phil or lee or whatever genuinely this is this is stuck in my my head for how like this must be getting on 10 years at this point but one of our junior selections where i I got told that I hadn't made it and then I got asked if I had any questions and I didn't. I occasionally think about that. And I was like, I actually do have a question. We got put out to scrimmage in like a f- what was allegedly a three big unit that was myself, you, and then three bigs who didn't end up getting selected anyway. And it's like, why, why was this lineup being tried out? And it's like, if I could do one thing differently, I would go back and ask in that meeting and be like, hey, what was this all about? Like, yeah. What were you hoping to evaluate here? But um, and there was one point that we were, I think it was, we were kind of blowing Turkey out at that point where like Greg hadn't come off the floor all game. He played as many minutes as he did until he like came off because his arm took a whack and it was like yeah. Greg and I don't remember who was on the floor at the time, but I was like, this is a little chaotic. Um, But yeah, but you got to try some of those stuff. And there's obviously like mathematically, there's times where it's like, okay, to get these two guys that we want to have a look at on the floor together, we yeah, need these sure. other people with them. But um, yeah, yeah, I man, think, uh... we managed to go there with 14. And I think the thing I was really impressed with um, was our depth. I was going to say Lee Fryer, no, um, our, our depth, because we managed to run actually like 12 most of the time. Yeah, and this was obviously the news only got made public the, like the day before the tournament that GB have picked their new coaches, um, which is Joey and Bill Johnson. So congratulations to those guys. But yeah, well, obviously... that was a really funny one where it's like, ah, Joey Johnson, that's cool. Who's the other guy? And it's like, <laughs> have you ever seen the Billy Eichner thing, Billy on the street, where he's like, hey, for one dollar, name any woman. <laughs> <laughs> It's like everyone's like, who's Bill? And I was like, have you ever seen wheelchair basketball from 50% of the world's population? Come on, man. But um Come yeah, on. I thought I thought they they obviously inherit a pretty good situation in taking over reigning world champions and um Paralympic bronze medalists. Uh Abdi, Jalmer, and Gaz Chowdhury not present at this tournament for various reasons, so kind of stuck to a lot of the more mobile kind of speed and pressing based units or I think um my I had a couple of big takeaways from Team GB which it number one among all things being that Lee Fryer will be going to the world's barring catastrophic injury um selection is yet to be made by the way this is no inside information like yeah like they have not picked the team but I was I think we were all like, we went from, oh, this guy's good to like, what is happening in like a week? There was just there was a point against Canada where he like beat both their four or fives with the ball on one play. I just, I was talking to someone about him and my favorite thing about how he plays a lot of the time is it's not, I don't know, I feel like experience teaches you how to not get in trouble, but he's still in the like, I can get myself back out of trouble, it's fine. Like, I can get into a trap and get back out of it. Like, I can fight my way back out of anything, which is incredible. Yeah, the thing thing that always comes to me when I watch him is Stevie Owen used to have a line where he would say, I don't know what I'm going to do, so what chance have you got? Oh, I love that so much, yeah. I always feel like that with Lee, where it's like, yeah, he, that play you're talking about where he beat both of Canada's fours and then came up, he went full court with the ball, like off a couple of picks and ran a layup. And it was like that, it doesn't look rehearsed in any fashion. It's just kind of, it's entirely all a string of spur of the moment decisions. And um, yeah, he, he just fits so well into the lineups kind of with 
Lee Manning in there as the big and then him in as a smaller four and just able to kind of fly around, especially with Jim in the low point spot as he was for this tournament, because that's just a very quick unit from yeah. top to bottom. Maybe um, the most one or two most mobile one in the world. Like yeah. I would uh, say. And then yeah, I thought the other big takeaway was I thought Phil was really aggressive offensively as he's gotten slightly more that way as the season's gone on. Yeah, it is really funny. I was um, thinking about this and I was talking to people about it where he still has that reputation and it's like, have you watched this season? Like, Yeah, um, and I think my only... I don't know how to word this, but the only thing I'm not crazy about with the GB starting lineup of, you know, what we've seen of Phil, Lee, Manning, uh, Harry Brown, Simon Brown, and then Greg. The only thing I don't love about it was when they used to run Lee and Phil strong side because it was like, if teams are prepared to L-shape Phil, you've got seven and a half of your 14 points like wrapped up in kind of sitting still and hoping to coke the defense out. And that always felt a little bit like a cap on the thing. But then Phil had 16 points in the final and was just knocking down bank shots that he was getting left to shoot. And if that's going to happen, then what? was a dangerous transition team and a decent half-court team is now, you know, tough to stop on, on both ends. I would both, say so. Factors of the offense. And yeah, man, I thought GB are obviously going to have to make a, a 12-man um, selection at some point, you know, in the, the not-too-distant future. You guys have got camps and stuff um, coming up and, and all that, so the squad needs to be narrowed down. But I think I come away, I obviously know this group of guys pretty well in terms of skill sets and whatever so maybe it, I feel like I can pick it out based on what I would do but I came away from this being like yeah I count at least 11 guys who are, I would put my money on making it yeah, um, that's interesting I don't actually know when our squad's being picked someone asked me recently and I was like it, the date might be set they might yeah. have even told us but I'll tell you one thing for sure yeah. for certain I don't remember um, yeah, no, I think like I, I well, heard, the date for them is set, but I don't remember. Yeah, I heard end of April, but um, it you know, it could be it could that's be so funny that you might know this and I don't. That's a laugh. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, man, I thought GB would just I thought the they got the best out of rotating all the guys, and there wasn't throughout the whole tournament. I don't think I watched a lineup where I was like, yeah, this really isn't going to cut it. Um, we now that as I say, that's the thing like the, the depth we had, like we kind of ran at least 10 guys in most scenarios and looked pretty good. Like, I don't know how many minus lineups we had, there were definitely a couple, but um, yeah, just situationally think, as well. I think you guys handled relatively well. I think different teams threw different stuff at you at various points. Yeah. Um, uh, one thing I find quite funny was we played Australia there in the final and. They went to three bigs, two ones, and then I came on the floor to press, and they actually got the better of us. So when I came back on, they put three bigs, two ones on, like in response to our lineup. And I was like, oh, oh no. Yeah, how the tables have turned. It's, um, funny, it's funny going to the bench and like having another team being like, oh, this guy, all right, you guys know what to do. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> but no, that just made me laugh where I was like, hey, we're, this was meant to have the opposite effect. And I think it did the second time around, but it was just funny that they were like, imagine being like, they're going to this lineup. Let's go three bigs, two ones. Like, that's not really how that works most of the time. But yeah. Yeah, it's funny. That right. just gave me a little chuckle. Shall we, uh, get, when we get out of here, we've got a couple of quick hits of news items to rifle through. Should we do those now? And then we'll assign the belt. Yeah, can do. I'm actually thinking real hard about the belt, but... I'll, um, I'll vamp for you in the meantime then. Um, no, no, so it's, yeah. fine. it's fine. You, we, we can decide the belt at the end as we do. So first couple of national team selections are in, right? Yep. So we kind of alluded to it with uh, Germany. They announced their squad selection yesterday, uh, or the day before yesterday at this point. Um, and yeah, the big news from a Bilbao standpoint is that your guy, Lucas Glosner, has made it for the first time. Congratulations yeah, to him. Lucas. As part of a more general theme, it's a great time to be a German guy playing in Spain because um, Basti Kolb from Vigo has also made it. And then 
Yeah, Germany, we saw their camp list get published and Moji Kamali was in it, who is famously of um, Iranian national team status. So he didn't end up making the 12, which I assumed he would have been a, a shoe in for that. So I don't know what's Do they still on. have the, sorry, do they still have the thing where you need to like miss a major with your current national team? Uh, I think probably, but I also don't know if Iran have made this world's set up because if they haven't i don't see them getting back to a major anytime soon because for moji to become eligible to if that is the case for moji to become eligible for germany iran would have to qualify for a major without him yeah and play that major and then yeah considering all their guys seem to leave them for reasons that aren't entirely clear i don't see them making a major again anytime soon yeah it's a weird um, one there has been a bit of a like exodus i've heard this guy's going here and this guy's getting this nationality and whatever else is people's rights obviously and i'm like that's just interesting but i yeah we're, we're probably getting into geopolitical issues at this point and um, that's not really our that's not really our bag nor would so i yeah. like it to be um germany kind of usual suspects tommy bomer um Haluski, jens albrecht nico dreimel has made it matthias gutner jan haller uh jan sadler chris huber tobias hell alex buddha so they got decent spread of guys along with the two guys we just mentioned and then we kind of reference the youth movement they've got thomas ryer of cologne julian lammering of munsterland and alex kaiser also of cologne who are all you know fresh off their junior careers they've all made the reserve squad so germany look like they're they're piecing something together i think they're in a fairly uh smooth transition and then they've got a decent 12 guys and three more guys coming on who they must be pretty excited about. And should we do the USA? Uh, yeah, do you have that in front of you? I went to look for it while you were talking and I didn't get there on time. I do have it in front of me. So, Oh, wow, what a professional. We've got some couple of reappearances. Uh, those of you who watched USA last summer will remember they took kind of a shell of some of their previous squads along with some new guys. Um, and they only just won the gold at the America's Cup in what looked like it was going to be Argentina stealing it for the first time ever um but yeah they welcome back steve serio and jake williams who i dare say those two might make something of a difference for them yeah um, pretty two two very good basketball players um brian well, i wonder how much they had to be like hey can we come back please <laughs> yeah uh i i dare say i i always joked about it with Landil when they had like a tough run uh, last year and I was like at what point do you press the dial Steve Serio button and have him like deployed out there I wonder if Team USA were doing the same thing mm-hmm. um, but yeah Brian Bell and Jorge Sanchez who kind of carried them in the absence of those guys obviously both made it Fabian Romo, Jorge Salazar, Trevon Jennifer is also back shout out to him Yeah, uh, and then some of the younger guys who made it in the absence of some of their more established guys in Corey Rossi, Jeremy Meyer, Ryan Nicefender, uh, Taylor Jordan, and John Boy, as seen in the Waltons. Um, yeah, they've... First time anyone's heard that, I would say. It kind of looked like they might be dropping off a little bit. Uh, you obviously don't know the year after a, you know, a major tournament or whatever if they're going to... Um, if they're going to see some guys retire or if guys are just taking a year off, but I dare say the USA will will be not to be trifled with yet again. Um, yeah, I don't know if you if you like win a if you win your only qualifier, the only international tournament they've played, you go you win that, and then you bring back a couple of old timers. I feel like yeah. you're gonna feel pretty good about yourselves. Yeah, you'll probably be fine. But um, that's just me. I don't know. Outside of national team stuff, um, a couple of last things. So we saw the other. Uh, the start of last week, I think, at this point, um, Gaz Chowdhury and Lan Dill have parted ways for the rest of the season. The rest of the season being Champions Cup Final Four and German League playoffs. Um, scarce details about the what's or why's of this happening, but it's obviously got some implications for Lan Dill in terms of uh, what lineups they can roll out with Gaz out there as no longer out there as a four. They've got kind of their two four fives as their bigs. And yeah, yeah, they're gonna have to. I think they'll be a little bit limited going into the their remaining games, but you know, whatever's whatever's gone on there, you know, that decision has been made, and I dare say 
nobody will be any the wiser until either side wants to disclose why, if that ever does become the case. Yeah, um, very like very political sort of, very sort of like diplomatic, sorry, statement. But yeah, also translated from German on Google, so God knows. But yeah, hope everyone involved is all right, obviously. But yeah, rough. Um, yeah, as you say, like just sticking to the basketball stuff, obviously it limits them in what they can do. It takes another score, another four out of their rotation. But yeah, we'll see. All right, who have you got for the belt? This was uh, tough. I wanted to just go Lucas for, for fun, but he didn't play, so. <laughs> um, I can't just I'm, keep giving it to my mates. I'm going to go Lee Fry because I think he had the he was the burst on the scene guy of the tournament, as far as I'm concerned. The boy. Also, he wants to come on the podcast. Let's make it happen. I, I can't tell you how much I would dread that. What? <laughs> what? He's the man. Is it? He might be, he would quickly overtake Lucas Warburton as the person that people had the most difficulty understanding. Yeah. He's got a strong accent, but yeah. No, he actually, he was like, yeah, what, he like came up, he was like, when you get me on the podcast? And I was like, I can't tell if you're making fun of me. <laughs> like, <laughs> you forget oh, the man. older you get, you're like, you're just young enough that I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. Right, this, this is the soundbite then. We'll close on that. <laughs> right, let's get out of here. All right, cool. Uh, thanks for listening and hopefully we will finally rope a guest in for this week yeah, apologies thanks Peace take out. it easy bye